You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. The revolution is the genocide. Yep. Your execution will be televised. Don't cross me like Isaiah, that should be ill-advised. Dark horse rap black sheep, they got me vilified. Castrated niggas in they feelings on IG. Won't ever let this industry demasculinize me. I do murder bare face, don't need no mask to disguise me. Do my effing in the stash, I think them crackers behind me. Damn. He pulled me over, I asked him, yo, what's the problem, sir? I swear to duck the potholes, man, I had no option, sir. Just let me go, cause my license insurance proper, sir. I hate to be on the run for smoking the officer. We was busting that police before Queen and Slim, that's on the fin. Let off 50 shots of the squad, car and get in the wind. Told the Gary police in 05 that I got more guns than them. Get the feds if you want a war, and they sent them bitches in. Welcome back to the Piper Carter Podcast. You are listening to Piper Carter, and I'm at home talking to you from Zoom during this COVID period, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. What's up, Brittany? What's up, Pipe? How are you? I'm good. Good, good, good. Deja, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. Yeah. How's your week been? What have you guys been doing all week? (laughs) Working, I'm back to work full time. Um, they opened the store back up last week, so actually, this is our first full week open. Um, last week was like my first like real week back, and it's been kind of like dead. Um, yeah, the store has been really dead, at least in my department. Like, we're selling a lot of glasses, but no one's really coming in like that um, to get theirs fixed or replaced. So that, that's been cool. Mm-hmm. But I have to wear a mask every day. And most of the time I can't breathe in it. So, like, I'm really appreciative of, like, oxygen now when I go outside. And it really makes me think about, like, this NDRE song where she was saying you better appreciate air while it's still free you better laugh while you can i don't remember the song but she was basically just listing all of the things that we take for granted in life and i definitely appreciate air way more now that i have to wear a mask like everywhere i go Mm. Mm. thank you for that deja that reminder Mm -hmm. what about you Brittany? how's your week been um last week was for like for all of us was interesting. My week got completely um, you know, completely sidetracked from my routine work-wise and personal-wise, um because of um everything that's going on that, you know, that the, I don't even have to like really bring it into the room, but I I will say that I overconsumed. I went on like a binge of just like watching different perspectives of what was going on. Um, just, I went, I went full throttle, um, for about, I'd say a day and a half. And then I woke up Friday and I felt, um, I I had anxiety. So I, um, I disconnected, um, personally, I just, I took a day to just completely disconnect. Um, and Deja, thank you. Because I was, I was like, itching to like really get back online and like really read things and I kept telling myself no but because of like your journalism um through social media and through like you know um 
other websites, you know, it kept me afloat, but also kept me distant. Uh, so I was really appreciative of that. And um, this week I'm going to, um, I'm in the midst of fasting so that I can clear my mind a little more. So, um, and good news, my um, best friend called me today. She had her, I was telling you guys, we did the, the Zoom conference for her uh, her baby shower. So she she delivered 28 days early and had the twin, the set of the twins today, boy and girl. So I was pretty happy about that. Yep. So, so now you're an auntie. I am uh, an auntie. <laughs> so an additional auntie. I have a niece and a nephew now, but uh, and then I have, oh, wow. Yeah, I have nieces and nephews, a lot of nieces and nephews from my brother and my sister. But this is my um, friend that's, you know, the closest thing to me next to them. So, yeah, it, it feels good to. Well, congratulations to all y'all. Yeah. So that's about it. What about you, Pipe? You know, um, it's interesting. I don't understand why I'm so busy. Um, Mm -hmm. It's not like I have a job. Um, But I do have three companies and I am a social justice person. I have been actually super busy. Um, Again, working on like tutorials and stuff for my business. Um, Just learning like software or whatever. Mm-hmm. I started a, um, I should invite you guys if you're interested. I, so a couple of weeks ago, I helped organize the remote burn, which was the Burning Man online. And so for that, I ended up spending like an entire week with these strange tech hacker people mm-hmm. running all this technology and staying up 24 hours a day and just people who are creatives and music and all this stuff. And so at the end, you know, it was this whole platform that they built. So we got to see behind the scenes of the platform and help, you know, inform it and showcase Detroit talent. And coming out of that, what I learned is um, a practice that I hadn't practiced in a while which is this culture of peer-to-peer learning. And so Hmm. um, I was like, oh, yeah. Like, because basically when we did our debrief, what I realized was that we're listening to the artists that participated because I did like a whole follow-up debrief. Mm -hmm. And in listening, it was the artists from Detroit, you know, they're black and brown. And folks, some of them had never streamed before or folks were having some difficulties with some things and so um what became apparent is most of the artists that were part of the remote burn were artists who had access to a lot of resources um you know money resources but also industry resources and so um most of them had you know a pr person that they were paying and an entire Um, tech crew which you know some of them had like an entire like film crew a streaming crew and then someone should just you know run like all their systems and do the switcher so um, the Detroit people you know were basically you know doing everything themselves and running their streaming and filming themselves and if they had multiple cameras you know triggering them themselves creating their own graphics for their streams, um, 
you know, and, and, and like running their streams themselves in addition to performing and DJing themselves. And so uh, when I did the debrief with the larger group, they were like, you know, basically dissing the Detroit artists saying like that they needed to have all of this, you know, support. And my yeah. thing is like, okay, those artists that you're talking about, they're like signed, they could, they have access to get resources, right? Outside of themselves. So they have the resources to pay um, these people, right? They have resources to pay folks to do, you know, all the stuff. Here in Detroit, everyone is like struggling. Even the big artists, right? Aren't making the money. And um, a lot of our artists here are very, you know, they're very well known, but, you know, they don't have access to the resources. I see, um, I see um, one of our guests just joined. So I'm going to bring them in in a minute. And um, so, you know, it, I basically just started this WhatsApp group because I was like, you know, oh, that's Bobadero. Hey, Bobadero. What's up, Piper? Hey, I'm going to bring you in in one second, Baba. All right, take so, your time. Uh, yeah, so I basically started this WhatsApp group to make sure that, you know, Black and brown folks have a space where we can do, uh, you know, our learning with each other because you know, we need, we need to up our skills. We, you know, we're stronger together. Um, I realized through the process of even doing that event, when we work together, we actually were able to put together like a really strong, you know, united front and a really strong presentation. And, and everyone was really giving and sharing with knowledge. And that was really useful. So long story short, I started a WhatsApp group and it's for black and brown tech folks. And for us to you know, get together, teach each other and keep each other up on stuff. So I've been kind of maintaining that all week. So, but um, I want to bring in one of our special guests. Um, you know, uh, people know I talk a lot about the work and things that I do and I volunteer and travel and things like that. And a lot of that is possible because of this guest right here. This is Baba Darrell Jordan of the East Michigan Environmental Action Council, AKA EMIAC. And I'll, I'm very honored to have you on here, Baba Darrell. Thanks for coming on Piper Carter Podcast to come share some truth with us today. Um, I wanted you to come on to talk about, cause you've been in the streets, you've been out there serving people, you've been helping people all through COVID and before and you have a lot to add and a lot to share. So we wanted to hear from you, like, you know, what's going on right now. How you doing, Baba Daryl? I'm doing all right. And I'm really glad to get to hang out with you on your podcast, Piper. Yeah. I, I, and I'm like, you haven't been on here before, have you, Baba? No, well, you on so many different kinds of things. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think we haven't. I feel like we haven't had you on here before. We talk a lot about EMIAC. Like a lot of my, a lot of stuff I talk about is EMIAC. Um, but, um, you know, EMIAC has allowed me to travel, has allowed me to represent, you know, Detroit in many ways with environmental justice, um, giving me lots of trainings and opportunities. So just I really wanted to send my appreciation to you uh, for that. And then, um, you know, we talked on here about what well, we do talk a lot on here about water 
And um, I wanted to, well, let me, let me start with, have you been out to any of the protests, Baba? Let's start with the protests first. Yes, I was out there on Friday. Uh, and I, and I actually, uh, it was, and you know, sometimes these demonstrations are like reunions because you run into people that you haven't seen in a while. And so uh, I got there right after Sawatu had finished speaking and had, had walked to the side. And so some of us was just over there hanging out and talking to people and, you know, just just getting involved. And I wanted to say, you know, that there was a good gathering uh, Friday, uh, but there was some other stuff going on while we was there. Um, I took a video. I think I shared it with you, Piper. You did. Of, of one guy who was standing there. He 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 was a white guy, and and I know we all got our own prejudices and stuff. But he didn't look like he would be a supporter of the issues that we were talking about. And uh, and so I walked up to him. Uh, for those of you who know me, y'all know I can be pretty nosy. And so I wanted to know who this guy was, why he was there, and what he was doing. He was taking pictures. And so I walked up and I asked him a couple of questions. Who you with? Why are you here? Uh, he said he was by himself. And then I said, oh, well, I just asked you because I see you got that gun. He said, I got three guns. Uh, so it was a whole lot of stuff out there and a whole lot of folks going on that didn't have nothing to do with what was going on out there and why we were there. That's my own opinion. Well, um, Bob, thanks for coming on. Um, I'm going to talk to you some more, but I want to say peace to another guest that's on here. Lauren Williams is a part of our frontline coalition. EMIAC um, is a part of a coalition of folks that are on the front line, um, Black Detroiters that are, you know, live in the city and, you know, doing lots of volunteering for the city. And so um, Lauren Williams is an artist and she's super brilliant. And she's a part of our coalition. And um, I wanted to bring you on here, Lauren, just to like hype you up because you're so awesome. But also <laughs> um, just to get, you know, from you and Babadero, because y'all have been in the streets with the protests. And we wanted to get like a firsthand account of what's going on right now with the protests. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I, I feel like Babadero's probably been out there more than I have even. Um, but I went out uh, Saturday night, I think it was. So I went. I didn't go out till much later. I know that that day the protest started at like 4 p.m., I think. Um, but I got out there probably around 9 or 10 p.m. Um, and by that time, you know, I think most of the most of the cases that we heard about with like severe rubber bullets and tear gas and things like that had already happened. Um, we were probably out there for about an hour. There weren't very many people. A lot of the people were already leaving from the sort of front line where the, the police and riot gear were trying to push them back from. There were police trying to sort of flush people out of side streets so that we couldn't actually approach the protest, like the body of the protest. Um, and then we actually got in the car to leave and then right as we left we saw a series of tanks at least two tanks if not three 
a horse brigade and a flank of riot police marching down toward a different area of downtown and where they had been. And so we kind of stopped and we're like, this is, this looks really bad. <laughs> um, and it was probably close to midnight by that point. So we we're like, this looks bad. Let's, let's see what's going on. So we tried to sort of follow and watch what they, cause they were clearly going to something to try and stop something. So we tried to watch that, but, and all, I mean, for the most part, while we were out there, it was just sort of documenting what we saw. We saw police, break a car window and drag a person out. We saw them kind of provoking folks and doing that thing where they sort of like rush the crowd so that everyone panics and runs away. Um, it was just a lot of agitation entirely on the part of police from what I saw. Um, Baba Darrell, I don't know if you saw something else. Well, I was there Friday, Friday uh, rather than Saturday. Well, yeah. thanks for that, Lauren. I think I see another one of our comrades on the line, the Right Reverend um, Bishop um, Streetmaster. Are are you there? Is that you, Bishop Reverend? <laughs> Who is that on, over there? Is that you, Paul? Yes. Okay. Um, I can't really hear you. Are you speaking? You're not talking to me, are you, Piper? Yes, yes, yes. There we go. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to bring you on because you're you are awesome, dynamic, brilliant, and a lot of people are really working to figure out like what to do and what's going on. Um, but let me just give you a proper intro strategist, artist, graphic designer, farmer, um, a lot of things that I love and respect, and one of our um, brilliant Detroiters that we love so much, Detroit resident. So um, oh, Baba Darrell uh, gave us some understanding about Friday. Lauren gave us some understanding about um, yesterday. I gave a little tiny understanding about Frontline, but not too much. But I wanted to just start with the on the ground um, report, you know, because um, you went out there yesterday and I just wanted to get just, you know, a brief overview before we go into, you know, the what I call political education piece. But I wanted to get like a brief overview of um, what was, I think you went yesterday. So what happened yesterday that you saw? Well, I mean, yesterday and tonight is just more of the same uh, arrests. The police are being very strategic now. They're starting to plant certain individuals in our in our marches. Uh, there was a group of guys from organization, I think, called Ceasefire, who, you know, in Chicago, they were like this and here trying to keep the peace, so-called. Uh, nobody was being disruptive today. Everybody was there to march. Everyone had... You can tell when someone's there to march because they have a sign about George Floyd. People want to talk about George Floyd. People are mad that he's dead. Um, I stopped some kids who were leaving the march. They were suburban kids from Lincoln Park. I said, well, why are you here? Are you here just to agitate? They said, no, we care about. Why does someone being from Lincoln Park mean they can't care about George Floyd? Ain't none of us from Minneapolis. 
by that logic, nobody but everybody within the city limits of Minneapolis should be marching. That's dumb ass logic. And so we understand that love and human rights have no geography. People have a right to drive in from Lincoln Park to join a march. The mayor packed his shit from Livonia to become mayor. He was still in Livonia. This police, right, he's still in Livonia. He still ain't packed a box. This police chief, this old reactionary pig, Uncle Tom, is from outside. Emergency management was from the outside. State takeovers from the outside. So if we get if we have people who want to join in demanding human rights for all people everywhere, they have a right to do that. We send organizers to Brazil. We send organizers to uh, Cuba. Bob has been sending people all over the world to talk and build relationships. So why do we care if somebody comes from Southfield to demand human rights? That's first off. But they're just arresting. What we're seeing on the ground is arresting, intimidating. What I've seen that I've never seen before, and I worked for a police review board. I, I used to review complaints on the North Shore of Chicago when I was in college. And I've been around police and I've understood their tactics. I've never seen police engage someone physically and not detain them. <laughs> police, police might not even talk to you without filing a report. That's how bureaucratic policing is. So when you begin to see police tackling people, throwing people to the ground, wrestling people to the ground, Hitting people. I saw them hit a woman in her face, then try to smash her phone. Why? Because she had footage. Mm. And you know that we've moved into another phase of fascism. In America, we've gone from that old barbaric Jim Crow lynch mob stuff to some high-tech slave patrolling with these military helicopters that got lights that shine directly on your car. Tanks, like Lauren was talking about. Horses. You know, this hybridization of the arcane, the barbaric, and the new and futuristic. Facial recognition knows the space between your two eyes. Knows your face better than your own mama. Now we're talking about moving into a new phase. So, I, you know, I'm not supporting any violence or whatever, but we don't have to support violence. We're born into America, and America is a very violent place. So whether you support it or not, you're swimming in it. In fact, if you're Black, or poor, you're drowning in it. You don't even know how to swim. So, I, so, so if you're drowning in some violence, just like if you're drowning in water, the only solution to not drown in water is to learn how to deal with water and use water to get out of water. So if you're drowning in violence, I suggest with some strategy, political education, and discipline, you learn how to navigate violence, avoid violence, and yes, even use it to get from drowning in it. Because the way these police behave the other night, I have video of them calling a woman a bitch, a cunt. I don't know if I can say, you can edit this. Smacking her, defaming and 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 and, and, and uh, using racial slurs towards a Latina woman, towards a Latina, talking about, go home, adios, bitch. Adios, bitch. Oh, oh, you want some too? Hitting people took this white kid into an alley, slammed him on his head, took his phone, smashed it on the ground, put a couple of elbows on him, kicked him a few times, then let him go. Just to break the phone. Hmm. Looked on the shirt. The guy's shirt said DPD Goon Squad with a red skull on it. I looked at him. I said, you look like one of those filthy Klansmen on bikes. You know that. White supremacist look. What kind of uniform is that? Goon Squad. 
So, so who's bringing the violence? Who's bringing the terror? And, you know, I'm just, you know, I don't want to go on and on, but I'm outdone. I'm angry. And I think this moment, if, if George Floyd's death didn't expose it, just like uh, Rakia Boyd, just like Ayanna Stanley Jones, you know, the list just like Sandy Bland, if, the, if those don't expose, just like this, just like this trans brother, what was it, Trevor Mc, what was it, Trevor something? Tony McDade. Tony McDade, down in Miami. If it doesn't, or, or down in Florida, if it doesn't expose, then the reaction exposes the reactionaries. The riot gear, the tanks, the military helicopters. And, and, and as we come out of this moment, we have to recognize that all of us who are committed to nonviolence, that's good. But you need to also commit to self-defense. Because what's going on is not just going to stay downtown, right? First, they bring the rents, the cropped pants, and the boat shoes, and the $14 cocktails. Then they bring the tanks. Well, I live in Northwest Detroit, and I started seeing a lot of cocktails. I started seeing a lot of, uh, what are those, Edison lights and the hardwood floors in the bars. <laughs> we don't drink like that. Well, we... You, you, Bobby Dale knows what I'm talking about. When you start seeing these bars start to look like, uh, you know, Shinola. So we mm. know that if there's coming to Livernoy, if those things are coming to Indian in, in Village, if you live Northwest, if you live in Joy Road, you start to see the apartments shining and glistening and your neighbors are walking up to you saying, hi, how you doing? First comes the economic transformation, then comes the political repression. Understand it. Know it. If you want to live there 10 years from now, you better build power and programs in your community. Uh, go. Or go. Go now. Don't waste time. Yeah. When, I say, when I say self-defense, I don't mean a physical self-defense. I mean a program. I mean you need to develop a kind of analysis and understanding that will allow you and other human beings to protect one another and to commit to protecting one another Feeding one another, fighting for health care, resolving conflict. Resolving conflict is self-defense. If we could do that, we wouldn't have to call the police. If you resolve conflict, you don't have to call the police. So that's self-defense. If you learn your neighbor's name and they trust you and they see you going into your house and don't call the cops on you, that's already self-defense. So I'm going to leave it there. I'm going to leave it there. No, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Stick around. Wait, stick around for a minute. Because um, earlier today, I had got a, well, yesterday or whatever, I had got um, an ask from one of our elected officials, local elected officials, for to speak. And because I'm social distancing, I was like, well, I'm in a coalition of folks and, you know, they can speak for me because we, you know, we have the same values and this and that. And I asked y'all to go there. And we got hoodwinked. So I wanted to give an opportunity. <laughs> I apologize about that because I was thinking y'all right. catch the mic. But uh, it's all good. But, you did your part. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, but I, I wanted to get us a bigger platform, you know, to get to those people because they were spitting all that craziness. And uh, I, I, I only watched it because I was trying to see y'all speak. But um, it was a bit much on my central nervous system, I'm sure. Y'all's too, because y'all was physically there. 
But I wanted to ask Lauren to, um, before we finish our conversation, because I wanted to ground us in our, in this statement that our collective so brilliantly um, put together. And I wanted to ask Lauren if you would read that statement before we, you know, move to uh, more conversation. All right. Come on, Lauren. <laughs> I'm supposed to channel Babadero. That was my plan earlier, but that <laughs> <laughs> swindled. I'm with it. Um, all right. I'm going to cut the part where I thank the council uh, and all that, but. <laughs> um, all right, so on behalf of Frontline Detroit, I'd like to offer the statement in defense of Black life and self-determination. Frontline is a living assembly of rooted Detroiters, building revolutionary power through bottom-up, intergenerational, Black and Indigenous-led organizing, and fighting for a holistic kind of environmental justice as radical transformation in society. So through Frontline, we fight for a world that can only be won through revolution, as understood through radical thought, bold imagination, and a commitment to love. We oppose the police as an institution made to torment, oppress, enslave, bully, spy on, harass, and hunt Africans in the Americas throughout the centuries we've been here fighting to live. We're working toward a world in which police are obsolete, irrelevant, and in which we can collectively self-determine what safety means for us. To that end, we look to dismantle these forces and create a new community-controlled institution that serves and protects the needs of the most marginalized. Today, we uplift the family and friends of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and Tony McDade, and the countless others who have died at the hands of the vicious, murderous police. We mourn them, grieve with them, and hold them in love and prayer. We also uplift all uprisings and insurrections where people resist oppression and exploitation. We uplift dark-skinned Black and African people around the world who are met with anti-Blackness and yet radiate beauty all while our bodies are policed with violence and brutality. We struggle and wage love against globally expansive systems of white terrorism, policing, militarism, imperialism, and their capacity to make death. We fight for our communities to have resources to keep themselves safe, to develop conflict mediation, restorative and transformative justice, and safety and healing programs. There is no future in policing. Policing, militarism, and state violence are horrific histories of death and destruction on repeat. Policing traps us in the past unless we have the political will to leave it there. So we fight for our future, born of people power and rooted in healing, fueled by revolutionary love, paving the way for communities where the human rights of all people are defended and in which the people are collectively self-determined. The future is a product of our revolutionary, revolutionary power as people. Thank you. Right. So that's our that's our statement. That's our current statement. It's it is um, right because we have a few statements. <laughs> Very powerful. So yeah. I wanted to bring in have co-hosts, and I wanted to not hog the mic, and I wanted to bring them in in case they have. I'm sure they do have comments, questions, or wanted to ask y'all different things. Um, so we have Brittany March, who's our uh, Brittany is our token millennial. And, uh, <laughs> and we have uh, Deja Gray, and Deja is our, um, she's our token Gen Z. So, um, you know, I wanted, I wanted y'all to come into the conversation at this point. You know, you've heard a little bit of what's going on in the ground from people that, you know, from three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we've heard um, the statement that we have. 
you know, about police and policing. And then I wanted to, I wanted y'all to come in and ask, you know, some questions that y'all might have. Can I ask you a question, Piper? Yes, sir. Did you share the statement with the people who organized it before we got there? No, I didn't, I didn't reason. have it, I don't think. <laughs> oh, that might have been, because I was going to say that might have been the reason why uh, uh, Lauren didn't get to speak. Because uh, <laughs> listening to that statement and comparing that to uh, the yeah. event that I went to earlier today, laughing mm-hmm. on uh, on uh, Grand River, it was, it was unbelievable. I, I love that statement. And, oh, you did it great, Lauren. I'm telling you. That's yeah. why you didn't get yeah i'm sad too i was i was waiting for it and um yeah but i wanted to see if deja or Brittany, do y'all have anything for them for our guests um no actually i was really tuned in on what everyone had to say about what they've equally experienced so thank you guys for sharing your stories with us i really appreciate it mm-hmm. what about you? yeah yeah i would i would like to say the same um i want to thank you for taking your time during, during COVID mm-hmm. to, um, to share your message and to care about our city and to Paul's point, to just care about black lives in general and being around people and understanding the importance of collectivism. Not only inst- uh, understanding collectivism, but applying what you know to be true. Um, I do want to ask you guys a, a question just because this is a topic that's coming up um, in regards to the true meanings of the protests being infiltrated. And would you describe it as that? Um, Paul, you mentioned, you mentioned that um, you, you had a, you had a light that, that came on um, once you spoke with the gentleman from Lincoln park and Baba Duro, you had a, you know, you, you uh, were able to, uh, ask some questions of someone that didn't necessarily look like that they would be fighting for the causes of George Floyd. So I just want to hear your more perspective on um, the protests being possibly infiltrated. Well, can I, can I speak to that real briefly and say that if you begin to look at our own history, every time black folks stand up and fight back, then the other sides figure out ways to try to take us down. Yeah, exactly. And so in, uh, our protests and our meetings and and our, our discussions and stuff, uh, that we are always being infiltrated. And now they don't even have to infiltrate us like they used to have to do in the old days because now the technology allowed them to know what we're doing and not even have to be there. And mm-hmm. so uh, not just, we aren't just talking about uh, uh, folks are uh, infiltrating us during this particular events while we're trying to raise up and say no more police brutality, no more deaths of black people for nothing. Uh, but, you know, we're watched every day. Every time you go to the grocery store, every time you go in and out the post office, when you own the bus, uh, when you go to the club, they know everywhere we been and everything we're doing. Uh, and even though they're, they're during green lights at the store, we all think that that's supposed to help us. It hasn't, I mean, other than being like that TV show, what's America's Funniest Videos? That's about what it is. It shows pictures of stuff going on, but they're not really using that to really deal with just crime. They're still trying to figure out what we're doing and mm. stop it. 
You know, they know more about what we're doing than we know about each other. <laughs> um, I think either Paul or Lauren, can you speak to what the green light is? Because we have a lot of listeners um, um, from not just Detroit, um, but from Europe and all over the world. So could you explain yeah. what green light is? Yeah, yeah, Project Greenlight is a surveillance program that uh, the Detroit Police Department, and excuse me while I hit my local liquor store, my life, y'all. No, man. Um, Project Greenlight is is a surveillance program that's meant to, um, I gotta go get my watch. That's meant to surveil, uh, track, uh, folks in Detroit, I will say Project Greenlight is very interesting because although Project Greenlight emboldens and makes more efficient policing, which is focused on oppressing black and brown and poor people, Project Greenlight is a transition of governance, of government function, of, of governing people from one where there's racism and classism and I all kinds of uh, identity-based oppression to one where all of the people in the political system become subjects, uh, where even, this is a trick, y'all, even the people who are part of the administrative class, that is the reactionary pigs in blue, that is the people in City Hall themselves are subject to surveillance, and the system is even surveilling itself. So it's some hot shit, y'all, because it's happening in China with the Uyghurs. It's happening in every country where there's capitalism, where there's Jeff Bezos and Tim Cook, a la Steve Jobs, and big corporations that actually don't care about race, don't care about nationality. Big corporations don't care about your religion. Big corporations don't care about where you find your pleasure or your orgasm. Big corporations just want to suck your soul for money. And that's the trick of the Project Greenlight of surveillance in general is that they'll surveil themselves to surveil you. And that's profound. So that this is Project Greenlight is something that's visiting Detroit, but it's global people struggling against the surveillance everywhere. Um, you know, that's what, that's what that is. We're always trying to uplift that. We got folks um, in Detroit struggling against it, uh, against surveillance. Want to shout out Shay Howe. Want to shout out Tawana Petty. Want to shout out all the fam who's struggling against surveillance in Detroit, big time. Uh, Detroiters want to be seen, but not watched. Yeah. And also, the uh, what is it? Green chairs, not not green lights. Mama Myrtle, Freedom Freedom. Freedom Freedom. Oh, Freedom Freedom. Freedom yes. Always big them up, big time. Hey, yeah. Piper, do you mind if I ask one more question? Of course. Um, Baba Daryl Paul, specifically Lauren, because of your statement and the power within it. Um, Piper, to her point, talks a lot about ENIAC and the things that you guys are consistently doing on Frontline Detroit, which you guys are consistently doing. And I think um, through these times, everyone has a feeling that they need and want to do something, but they don't necessarily know how or are are nervous or so angry that their emotions may keep them, you know, within their homes or their emotions may lead them out to the middle of nowhere and they'll just see what happens. 
uh, through your work, I think from, from observing your work, I think that you guys are brilliant when it comes to strategy and chess. Can you talk a little bit about what it means to have strategy and what it means to trust the people around you? If I can speak to that, I think that... Uh, Baba, she said Lauren. She didn't say you. She told us to shut up. She invited Baba Daryl and me. Chill. True, true, true. I'm listening. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Bob Darrell. I was just, I was just gonna say that uh, where you ended up, the trust part is the most important thing. We've got to get to the point of building relationships with each other. We talk a lot of rhetoric about building a world, making it healthy, loving each other, and other kinds of stuff. We've got to act that out. We've got to build relations and get to know people, you know. Uh, we might not agree with everybody. Uh, we might not all have the same experiences and whatever. But if we get to know each other and we all willing to try to work and make things better, then that's all we need. Because if folks can trust you, then I don't have to believe what you say out your mouth. I even uh, <laughs> uh, want to do the same things you do. But if I trust you and you say, come on, Daryl, can you help me do such and such? I'm going to be with you. We are so far from that right now. And mm. so we've got to get to know each other. We've got to share our principles and values. And we've got to understand that while we might not all be the same and we might have different things that we enjoy to do and different kinds of places that we prefer to be, uh, but when it comes down to the things that are most important, people having a good life, getting a good education, having access to healthy food and water and health care for everybody and that kind of stuff, Everybody should believe in that kind of stuff, and we should support each other. Uh, but we 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 so divided and separated and isolated because of money, because of our technology, because folks make us think that we're important and that we are more special than other folks when we all the same. And so I know I'm just talking craziness, but if you understand, the first thing we got to do is not that that not that hard. It's just beginning to get to know people. And, and, you know, building a community, building relationships. That's what this is all about. We ain't going to never change nothing unless we get to know each other and start building relationships because then we can plan. Mm -hmm. We can come together with a program and a plan and we'll follow it. But as long as we all scattered all over hell and we only show up when they kill one of us, you know, we're going to keep doing this stuff for the next 200 years. Mm. And I'm sorry if I got crazy, but those are folks who know me. Know no, Baba Daryl, we yeah, yeah, more than appreciate, I appreciate it. it. I raised the bar crazy already, Baba. You good? No, <laughs> Lauren, please. I would love to hear hear your thoughts on strategy and trust to Baba Daryl's point. I think um, to go in like a slightly different direction. So I'm not a person who's been super involved in direct actions before. Mm. So for me being at the protest, what I noticed, and I think what I, I probably talked about with Paul too, is like, how it just felt at the time we were there, at least that late at night, it was just like super chaotic. And it seemed like there wasn't a clear strategy that was shared across all the people there protesting. And so I think, um, and that, then that shows up, not just in like the feeling in the air, but also just in like, 
you know, sporadic running in every possible direction. And like Paul talked to people with bikes who could use them as extra bodies, but like weren't. And just like these like very practical questions about strategy and, and things like that, that I think that require the type of, you know, um, sustained long-term involvement in organizing that Baba, Baba Daryl was just talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, in order to show up there in that moment and actually, um, you know, make a show in, in front of the, the rat police, it requires a longer commitment to the work than what a lot of people are, are you know, encountering is they're just beginning to get involved in these things. And I think it's been funny for me to watch, um, I don't know, it was like the first couple of days, everyone was like, oh my God, are you okay? Are you stressed out? Like a lot of my white friends reached out like that. And I appreciate it, but also I'm just like, y'all know I talk about this like every day. Mm. <laughs> so like, I, it's like, I appreciate the concern and the fact that it's on their minds now. But I'm just like, I literally talk about this shit like every day. So it's not, I was almost, I wasn't numb to it, but it was just like, oh, it's, it's Wednesday. Yeah. (laughs) Can I I answer that a little bit? Please. I was just going to ask you, Paul, for advice because I know you've been doing, I know you have been, like you just mentioned, you know, a lot of what you guys are doing is is research and development. And I think that that falls into every industry. And it sounds like you have a lot of experience with the way that people think, specifically police enforcement, which I think you even noting is powerful within itself because you have to think about how people think in order to combat them or live with them. So, mm-hmm. so I would love to hear what you have to say. Okay, bet, bet. Um... These are good interviewers right here. What I was gonna say, <laughs> they make you feel good before you answer the question. What I was what I was gonna say is that strategically we have to understand what it is we're doing. We have to understand if we're doing something for a goal, is it gonna get us to that goal? Is it gonna get us part way, all the way? How close is it gonna get us? And what are some of the next steps and next things we need to do to get to where we wanna go? Running, like Lauren's talking about, running through the street is not going to get you to liberation. You're not running off a plantation anymore. A little late for that, America has colonized the entire globe. They ask the question, do you want to die by a domestic policy or foreign policy? Pick your poison. Uh, But this old running through downtown is not running for freedom, right? It's a frantic disorientation of our our politics and and our sense of self. Baba Darrell said it best. We don't have relationships. So uh, we don't even know who or what we're dealing with in reality uh, when we're running around and we're getting infiltrated. To so that question of infiltration, thank you, Baba Darrell. I said this at National Council of Elders uh, a, a year ago, and some people weren't happy with my answer. It's like, dude, the cell phone is a hell of an agent. Uh, the social media is a hell of an agent. Uh, they pioneered some of the first biometrics before the green light cameras, and they're still pioneering and tweaking those technologies. Uh, but when it comes to strategy, the two things I would, I would ask people when you protest, let's be specific about this moment because I know people are going to go out again tomorrow. Are you doing guerrilla tactics to struggle against the state? What are you trying to do? What do you want? What do you think you're going to accomplish in guerrilla tactics in urban quasi-warfare? 
part part kind of like warfare. What are you what are you what are you trying to do? Um, and these are the questions I've been asking them. The other thing is strategy towards actual organizing and demonstrating. So the people who organize demonstrations, please think new thoughts. Please be innovative. There's no reason for us to march past the commons. A Bobadero comes out on the porch and we don't halt the march and everybody sit down and get a five-minute teach-in. We have to be moving through dynamics. That's rhythmic dynamics. That's fast than slow. That's fluidity. That's water behavior. That's elemental. That's natural behavior, bio-integrated behavior. To stop sometimes and get information instead of just walking through the motions. I noticed some of the organizers of these marches, they actually don't want people to stop and talk. They don't want people to think. So it tells me that the people who are organizing these demonstrations are not trying to raise the consciousness of the masses of our people to stimulate some kind of political program that could actually build power towards what we're trying to get, which is liberation from oppression. Then the same critique goes to the folks who linger a little bit after the demonstration and want to play pretend guerrilla tactics, but you're not actually willing to sacrifice. When you try guerrilla tactics against these reactionary pigs, you need to be a little bit tired of life. You need to be ready to go. Your room should be packed up, tidied up, so your mom doesn't have to clean up all your stuff. Because that's what it is. And if you don't want that, and that's if you, if you haven't found a goal or something you're fighting for that's worth that, go home and watch Dexter. Go home and watch The New Insecure. Because running around um, and, 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 and challenging something without an objective sounds like a waste of time to me. And I think some people are taking it too far and saying all these people are agitators, all these people. What if these people are actually misguided or unguided? And they're unguided by the very people who are on social media criticizing them, but who won't come down for the early part of the march and agitate ideology and share new information and new thought. So I appreciate Baba Darrell. really want to uplift Baba Darrell, Mama Marion, Mama Mo, for constantly coming out and saying, here's what y'all ought to be doing. And yes, sometimes cracking us over the head. Sometimes I got to go complain about Baba Darrell and be like, oh, he's out here he is again, tell, you know, fighting with me. But the truth is, uh, that's what we need, intergenerational uh, strategy. And the first strategy, again, is to develop an understanding of what it is you want, how you're going to get there, and, and how close these tactics get you to what you want to do. Uh, and I do think, and I'll finish with this, burning down police stations is not a bad way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Georgia Ann Muldrow, one of my favorite music producers, yep. black, black woman, she posted on her Instagram, uh, burning precinct is sage to my nose. I was yeah. like, oh my God. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they call yeah, her. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I wanted to, um, I know y'all are here on the ground. I wanted to get y'all's, because like at about seven o'clock this evening, maybe seven, eight o'clock this evening, I got this um, news, I don't know, brief or bump. And basically, you know, we already knew, we already read about um, Trump trying to get the governors to, um, you know, get the National Guard to come out. And so I wanted to, uh 
share this article with y'all where um, Trump is ca- calling for um, law and order and he's threatening to deploy troops over uh, major cities. And so um, it says, this is from the LA Times. It says, um, President Trump, after 48 hours of public silence, threatens to deploy thousands of troops to major cities to quell unrest. And it's after, you know, he was hunkered down in the bunker. You know, I don't know if folks saw he was uh, running and, uh, you know, went to hide. And um, we saw where um, some folks hit some Secret Service people in the head with some rocks. So they were able to get that close. Um, and you know, uh, he's saying these are not acts of peaceful protests. Trump's declared during a brief speech at the White House in the Rose Garden, referring to the demonstrations and sometimes violent acts that have broken out in dozens of major cities. He's saying these are acts of domestic terror. We know when they use a word like terror, like when we use police terrorism is because terror it has a specific meaning. Um, and so he said he's going to deploy, he's dispatching thousands and thousands of heavily armed soldiers, military personnel, and law enforcement officers to end the civil unrest. He's, he declared himself an ally of legitimate protesters, blaming violence and looting on anarchists. Um, but even as he did so, police fired tear gas into peaceful crowds across the street from the White House and advanced on horseback. And reporters in the Rose Gardens could hear booms in the background. Um, So long story short, they go through this whole thing, um, you know, just kind of explaining the details of what happened. But so now there's this contemplation on sending out uh, military. So I guess... It's interesting to me, what I get from this, like my reaction to this is like, okay, we know that they deploy military like they did during World War One, during World War II, because that was in reaction, you know, to make money based off of the Great Depression, right? Coming off the Great Depression, you know, they created these world wars and then America comes out you know, on top as the biggest superpower. So it seems to me, I see him using this as an opportunity to then mirror, I'm saying strategy-wise, to mirror that, except instead of deploying on what I'm going to call, you know, foreign territories, he's deploying on American territories, but still, it's still the same amount of money. It's still the same, you know, it's all capitalism. But that's my that's my reaction to it. Um, Paul, you just joined us. I don't know if you got a chance to hear. I just brought up um, this LA Times article talking about how Trump <clears throat> is saying that he's going to deploy the army now. He was saying the National Guard before, but now at about 7 p.m. this evening, he's talking about he's the talking about army. So I wanted to get oh. folks' reaction to that. I just gave my reaction, but I wanted to get other folks' reaction to that. Okay. There's a for that and that's because when the u.s army gets deployed it's under the direction 
of the president first and Congress. You know, so the states don't get a choice when the governors could decide that they wanted to call out they state not they state guards and stuff, they could do that. But this way Trump gets control. You know, and we should we should also be we should be thinking about some things too. Uh because uh I too didn't mind uh watching uh some of those uh the police stations burn down. But <laughs> On a real tip, we got to understand some history. We got brothers and sisters who are still in prison. Uh, 75, 78. Uh, oh, they've been, they been, they been in jail for the last 50, 60 years because they was out in the street working with folks to do what we had to do, defending ourselves. And a lot of them are in jail for shit that didn't even go down like the folks said it is. But they, they still in prison, you know? And so I want, I just saying that not to tell people what not to do, but just to say while we out there on the street, we need to be, we need to be thinking about what we're doing and being strategic about what we do and why we do it and who we do it with. So that you're doing stuff uh, that you're doing it with people that you know and trust. Right. Yeah. I would, I, 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 we did add to that, Baba, uh, Baba, Baba Darrell. Like, there's no real reason to. I don't mind watching them burn either, but that's rage inside of me. That's not solution driven thinking. I'm going to be honest. You know, I, I can be transparent about that. True. We're, we, we're, we, yeah, we deal with anger, but we also have a vision. And I would think that it would be a lot cooler and a lot more helpful to take over a police station and run a community healing center out of it to transform it into a food pantry or a place where we can store a bottle of water and move it out to our people who don't have water. Um, and there's models for that. Yes, there's models, exactly. Look, look at Brazil. We're talking about how bad Brazil is, but Brazil has MST. Landless workers, they take over land, take over every goddamn thing, talk and run Cuba. it themselves for their own benefit. Baba, talk about Cuba, too. The committees. Oh, yeah, Cuba. Uh, Cuba right now has almost, they have nowhere near the kind of uh, pandemic going on there that we have in the U.S. because they've been organizing for so many years. They have this thing called the Committee for the Defense of the Revolution. I know yeah, I know for all of us who, who like to, to do that, it sounds so deep and so radical. But you know, it's like uh, a version of block clubs in the U.S. except for their city. Yeah. And they, they, they know everybody in their area. They know if something goes wrong or whatever, they're not getting in people's business. But when something happens, they all come together and they had the resources pooled together to take care of it. You know, that don't sound too too scary to us when you think about it like that, does it? But when the U.S. talks about Cuba, they make them sound like they're the worst people in the world. But I think they've had, they've had least COVID deaths than any other country in this hemisphere. And they were going to come over here and help take care of our people. They were going to come over here and help take care of our people. And we wouldn't let them. Our government wouldn't let them. Yeah, they deployed doctors. Uh, they were deploying doctors all over the world. They sent doctors to China. They sent doctors everywhere um, yep. to help get it under control. Africa, the Caribbean. And would have come to Detroit. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to bring them. Well, I wanted to see maybe, um, I don't know if e either Deja, Brittany, Lauren, or even you, Paul, had just a reaction to 
uh, that article I read about Trump deploying the army. I just think it's interesting how he wanted the states to have full control of handling of COVID, but he wants to take control of the state for these, uh, for these quote unquote protests, the riots, rebellion, depending on what side you're on. That's how you would phrase it. It just, it's all, it's all, it's all very interesting. Piper, you, uh, the first episode we talked about COVID, you talked about the national guard and you talked about it possibly being a way for them to, um, pierce through each state. Um, I think you were prophetic with it. I think you, I don't know if it's history um, or you just being prophetic or, or both that saw that this was, this was going to, this was going to come to this. Uh, other than that, I don't have anything else to say. Yeah. I just, my one thought is that I saw something on Twitter the other day that was about how, um, like the U.S. military has been perfecting this approach to urban warfare overseas over the last, like, I don't know, 20 years. And that's what's being brought back into these neighborhoods. And that's why, that was why, like, when we saw the tanks on Saturday, like, we were literally leaving, like, we were on the way out of downtown and just stopped and was like, is that, (laughs) it's like, it's like an occupied state. And I think I told Paul at the time that the, like the first thought that comes to mind is when I, vi- I visited Palestine, like probably seven, eight years ago now. And there are so many just like bizarre militarized moments that you see either within parts of, of the West Bank or as you're traveling between Israel and West Bank and things like that. And just, it was so absurd to see for the first time as an American, like seeing what was clearly an apartheid occupation, but like isn't recognized that way anywhere else. And I had the same feeling seeing these trucks on Saturday, just like, this is clearly a military occupation of a downtown for a peaceful set of protests for the most part. And like, it just, it feels so absurd when you see three tanks driving down like Woodward. <laughs> so. Yeah. I wonder, Deja, what, what's your reaction? I, um, kind of to Brittany's point, just how more, well, just, yeah, like they're taking this more severely than they took COVID. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> unity is a bigger threat than the disease. That's all um, I have to say about it. Can you bring in that conversation that you that you the research you did <laughs> around um, the blackout in DC? Um, yeah. So last night, um, per social media, because all of the the media outlets are denying that it happened. Um, it looked like. Um, some people that were pro- I'm sorry, participating in the protests in D.C. in front of the White House or around it, mainly um, around the time that Trump went to his bunker and they blacked out the White House. A lot of people's tweets about what was going on went missing. Um, 
someone pipe one of Piper's contacts and friends was speaking about how um, he saw tweets disappear from his timeline about what was happening live. Um, so I believe like maybe they were searching keywords or just I don't know how they were doing it, but information was disappearing from some social medias. At least Twitter was confirmed, and I'm still seeing that today. Of people trying to figure out what's happening, and news articles are saying that it wasn't real. So I don't know. It's just really bizarre. I don't well, know what's going on. My friend from DC, right? My comrade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Asking he, what did he say? He basically, he basically said that he stopped his own eyes. Wait, say that again. He said that he saw it with his own eyes, tweets disappearing from his timeline about people that were out there protesting. Right. And I wonder... Compared it to China. And Baba Daryl, did y'all see any of, like, any on y'all social media, Any have y'all experienced anything weird? Oh, no, I don't have social media. I don't have social media, but my phone buzzes when you call me and I'm hooked up to Bluetooth. Everybody knows that. Same with Ananda's phone. They know. They're listening to this. They're listening to all the shit all the time. It sounds crazy, but it's not. No, it's not they're listening. I mean, yeah, they're yeah, we all saw Batman. Batman. Morgan Freeman in that room. That's Chief <laughs> Craig. That's Chief Craig. Chief Craig, Morgan Freeman. And he's <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson and Django. He's a mix. <laughs> no, Craig's not. Craig, is. he's trying to get that good. <laughs> He's a, oh, hey, Chief Craig. I hope you listen to this. You're old Uncle Tom Sambo. <laughs> and if I ever saw you outside of your uniform, I'd knock your teeth on the floor. You're a chump. <laughs> no, he heard you. When he said that in your ear. He's going to just say, hey, Paul. Right. But you know, to the serious point about your, about your, about the article, Piper. One of the things is we got to be strategic about when to appeal to the Constitution and when to understand that it's a piece of paper that you can wipe your butt with. It's not constitutional for the United States military to march anywhere on American soil on on active duty. That's why the National Guard exists, because it's it's written into the Constitution that uh, it's, it's uh, what do they call it? Posse comitata. It's, it's not illegal. Uh, I mean, it's not legal. It's not permissible. Congress won't prove it that you can't even get... 60-day executive stay to do it. But if they did do it, because if the Constitution mattered, Al Gore would have been president, not George Bush. If the Constitution mattered, you know, there wouldn't be surveillance. Uh, There wouldn't be NSA and PRISM and people uh, spying on people's social media. So we know that the Constitution doesn't really matter. If they do it, strategically, we have to understand, anybody who's been around an army base knows that Usually the armory is very highly protected. But what did we learn in Vietnam? What did we learn in Iraq? And once they begin to march in these streets, they'll actually give people access to tanks. Tanks that break down. They will give people access to guns that get left behind. So I actually think if they know anything, if they're smart, they wouldn't do that because it brings the, the, the population in more close contact with the artillery and the armory than they ever had before. So perhaps they would do something like that, but strategically that would invite guerrilla warfare like in Vietnam where many, and my uncles who were in Vietnam told me this, many of the soldiers, black soldiers who were enlisted in the United States military were drafted 
But when they got there, fought with the VC, fought with the Viet Cong. And if people are, if you think about this, if you're going to deploy United States military in Houston, Texas, what do you really think brothers from Houston finna do? Right. What do, if you deploy, yeah. what do you really think brothers and sisters from Detroit finna do when they when the tank turns the corner and they on mama them block? Right. So, that's what they want. That, that's what they want. But the then you would see the system really break down because sort it's easy to be loyal when you're in Fallujah and nobody looks or talks or <laughs> worships like you. But when you are, when you got to march your tank uh, past Greater Grace and you went to Greater Grace. That would change a whole lot of people. To, I just, I hope that they do something so stupid, but I don't think they would. And I say I hope because I want to uh, uh, smash this government. I want to disassemble or dismantle this government. I want to dub this government, remix this government, however you want to say it. I want to crush them completely, break them, uh, and, and, and put them on hiatus now into eternity. But, I, you know, I think they're more strategic than to march military uh, to allow Trump and his old dumbass to march the military through the through the streets. I actually think surveillance and what they have done is militarize the police so they don't have to do that. When you see these weapons that these police walk around with, they don't they are the military. They don't need the military. I think what Trump is saying that's true is that George Bush and Barack Obama put the military on the streets already when Homeland Security created an initiative to create HSEM, Homeland Security Emergency Management Departments, all over the country. And I think it's interesting that Homeland Security Emergency Management manages two things, two things. That's national security threats from within, i.e. riots and insurrection, and natural disasters and health outbreaks, bioterrorism, ILA, sickness mm-hmm. and communicable illness. Those are the two things that HSEM departments are charged with. You have HSE input departments in every state, every city, every county, everywhere. So they've been preparing for both of these moments. I don't think these moments are detached or unrelated. And I don't think you have to put the, Amer- the American military in the streets of the United States because they're already there in the form of these departments who've been funded like nothing you've ever seen before with automatic, they all have automatic weapons in their trunk. This is what I've seen from being, working with the police department as a, a, a citizen's review, they have automatic weapons, grenades, gas masks, night vision goggles, uh, uh, flares, solar flares. In there, they have the, uh, the 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 solar flares, a brand of flare that can that can create a a, a flashbang in the room, so they can take a building. They already, when they say war on drugs, ask the local dope boy. They've already been waging full-on war against anybody who's even thought to be a drug dealer. That's I believe that's how Breonna Taylor, right? If that's the name, Breonna Taylor was killed, mistaken for being a drug dealer. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that shows you how they deal with drug dealers. That if you sell a little dope, a little happiness, a little fun, you got immediately. So that's what I think of that, Piper. I think it's a great question. Yeah. Um. I want to move us. We usually, just so you guys know, because y'all never been on our podcast before, we usually just move through topics um, and just touch them a little bit. Deja, you um, brought, wait, was that you or Brittany that brought up Louisville? Um, I did. Yeah. 
Can we touch on that? So the police chief. Yeah. So this um this black business owner got fired. I'm sorry. This black business owner he owned a barbecue restaurant um for several years and he was well known in his community. He was participating in a peaceful protest and two Louisville officers um, fired into the crowd after saying that they um, were fired at first and this um, this black man got shot and died as a result of getting shot of course and um, I believe it was let's see the mayor that fired the police chief and he was set to I believe retire next month Um, so now Piper like you said, he's not going to get his pension anymore, um, but they might might find a way to still sneak that to him. And the two officers have been taken out on leave. Um, and this is in Louisville, the same place where Breonna Taylor happened. Her death happened. Yeah, I wanted to see if folks have any reaction to that one. Somebody should be in jail. Right. I'm in prison. I don't even, I don't even, I believe in the abolition of prisons. This shit gets to be real confusing for somebody <laughs> who is against the death penalty and against prisons. I, but God damn it, some of these folks belong in jail, you know? Right. I, I know it don't make any sense, so I'm glad that I got all this gray hair so I can actually <laughs> But God damn it, they belong in jail. Uh, Maybe we can make some room by letting the people who are in jail out because they don't belong there. And let's put some of these nuts that run these uh, police departments, put them in jail. And, you know, we got folks walking around Detroit that the police shot up and stuff, and they still around here and ain't nobody did nothing. And then some of the uh, cases where Detroit had to pay. So, you know, Detroiters can't be acting like this is Disneyland or nothing, you know? Sure, we got there's the police here are just as bad, just as nasty as they are anywhere. And Craig keeps smiling with his what LA LA stuff with that bullshit. Uh that that's the kind of shit they used to do out LA. You know, it's all about TV and shit and acting like TV. Everything's make believe. Just like he's right here in Detroit with his make believe ass. I'm sorry, I lost it, didn't I? <laughs> Well, I wonder, Lauren or Paul, do y'all have reactions to that one from Louisville? Sorry, I thought I was muted. Um, I mean, reacting to the, the the firing of the police chief, I guess. Yeah. Like, great. It's great. They should fire the rest of the police, too. Um <laughs> I don't know. Like, I feel like it's hard to get excited about anything in this context that is anything short of, you know, a major upheaval that reflects some larger shift happening. So, well, you know, I think it's probably a good thing that that happened. Also, I just saw something that said Michael Moore, the chief of police in LA, essentially told an audience during a presser that George or that the protesters are as as culpable for George Floyd's death as the officers who killed him so wow. I just like the hope or whatever <laughs> might be there, considering the global outcome is just like <laughs> short-lived <laughs> 
Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of have to up the stakes on that kind of thing. I mean, when you say that kind of thing, that already should bring people out in the streets. I mean. Yeah. And the other thing in LA today, they instituted a curfew at 1 PM. 30 minutes before 1 PM. They said there's a curfew until I think it was 1 PM to like 6 AM the next morning. That's not a fucking curfew. That's like. It's lockdown. Law. Like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And, and there were several different curfews. So LA, West Hollywood, and one other city that's like within the, the the city boundaries, I forget what it is. They all instituted different curfews. So it was like almost as if to intentionally catch people up. In the, I believe in Chicago they let the bridge up too to black people downtown. Yeah. I saw that. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to up the ante as a society. And this is where I, I challenge people to analyze everything, everything that's going on. Man, think about this as somebody who practices what's called permaculture or agroecology, which is like a form of farming that's just like not using a bunch of chemicals. When you, when you want to weed something, get rid of weeds, grow food, you can't just think about one element. You can't just think about your water. You can't just think about your soil. You got to think about everything in relationship um, or else none of us would eat. And I think we have to be that way with society. We have to look at housing. We have to look at healthcare. We have to look at um, domestic violence. We have to look at uh, public health outcomes, education. We have to look at it all and look at it and, and, and see that there's a class of people at the very top of society that's dominating the rest of us, pitting us against each other, trying to break us up and putting us into a position where the only way we could survive is to have a relationship with their companies, their corporations, their profit-making mechanisms. Once we have that analysis, we should understand that until we get our way, we should always be in the street. I mean, I think when you go to work, if your boss even talks to you foul, everybody should walk out. You have to be as harsh with the system as the system is with you. What do they say? Make an example. Make an example. They tried one of our own comrades and sisters, Sawatu. They tried to make an example of Sawatu off a bogus charge from a bogus prosecutor's office. Anytime you see young kids get thrown in jail, I've been in many courtrooms trying to advocate for my students in Chicago. And they would always say, well, we have to set an example. But when we were fighting to get, da get Dante serving a uh, 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 fire for killing uh, uh, Rakia Boyd, they didn't want to make an example. So we have to make an example of them. Every time a police chief says some old fucking bullshit, some old fuck shit like that, that's when you're in the street. Not when they kill. Not when they show you how they feel for real, but when they give you a little clue, we should stamp it out right away. We should call for jobs for stupid shit being said. We should call for people's badges on the basis of the most marginal of errors. We should breathe down their necks. Why? Because when they pull you over and give you a ticket for a rolling stop, that's what they're doing to you. And we have to stop comforting ourselves after we get those kinds of tickets. Bob and Daryl called me, he was furious when he got a ticket. 
I wish I could bottle that rage and, and, and sell it as a power drink, as an energy drink. Never forget when they don't forgive you, when they smash you, when all you have is $550 in your bank account and they give you a $500 ticket. So when they slip up, we need to breathe down their necks. And I mean that. So when a police chief says something like that, forget this old Louisville stuff. Because to be honest with you, I'm going to be very real with you. Let's suppose I was committed to nonviolence. When the American mafia determines that someone's a rat or a snitch, that means they've compromised the integrity of this organization of what they call men of honor. They don't fire you and take your pension. Is it, have y'all seen Scarface? Godfather or anything like that? Of course. Well, they don't reason with you. They don't take your pension. They don't protest against you. No. And when the government that you're guilty of treason. Wait, then you broke up a little bit. I said when the United States government determines that you're guilty of treason, they don't take your pension. No. In Chicago, they took people's pension for no reason. No. When, when, these, when the forces of conservatism and white supremacy want to deal with you, they cut your head off. And so I think, I'm a Jamaican, and I know a lot of folks who are in the, the, the life of crime from a Jamaican perspective. There was a kid in Evanston who, uh, who, who, who allegedly told on an organization out in the north side of Chicago, gave some information up to the police, someone got arrested. There's a big street called Howard that crosses a street called Davis that leads right into Chicago. Rush hour. This van pulls up in the middle of the intersection, stops, opens the door, and drops out ahead. People were throwing up. People were screaming. People were mortified. It was horrible. Inexcusable. You guess, guess what that organization never has to deal with again, though? What am I saying? Am I saying that we need to be politically violent? No. But I'm saying we're leaving a lot of elbow room up for grab when somebody kills somebody in our community and all we ask for is for them to be fired. So when Bobadero says they need to be in jail, I don't care if you're an abolitionist. So long as jails exist, people who kill innocent people in our community should be in them. So long as they exist. And if I bet if you put enough reactionary pigs and government officials like the evil and unforgivable Rick Snyder for, for the people he killed in Flint, if you put them in, enough of them in jail, there wouldn't be jails anymore. What I'm saying is, if you want something to go away, be harsh, be ruthless, be draconian, and watch things change. So all that, all that forgiveness and Barack Obama singing Amazing Grace after nine uh, praying grandmothers were slaughtered with their eyes shut, oh, that's dead. We're becoming a, a, a politically awake people. And what politically awake people do when somebody takes one of theirs is that we respond swiftly, directly, strategically, and ruthlessly with a thirst for vengeance. And I'm, I'm so thirsty. 
you know what that takes me to that takes me to our next topic i wanted um thank you for that and uh I, I, that takes me to uh Brittany. tell us about what anonymous is up to was that you um no that's De- that's deja oh yeah deja tell us about what anonymous is up to about what they how swiftly they uh are <laughs> taking things and, and and vigilantly they're doing things um, yeah, so they basically, um, they made a Twitter account and threatened Trump to um, expose this case between him, or no, it was, I think he was named in the case of him, um, Epstein, and I believe Prince Andrew, they all, well, they, they listed a lot of people um, between UK and America, Naomi Campbell was also on this list, Um the Rothschilds were like literally every big name you can imagine. Was on this list. Yeah, man, it's sick. She was listed um, as having, uh, I can't remember what it said, but she basically had a relationship with Prince Andrew and another known child trafficker. Um, and those were her contacts. And I'm not really surprised, but it just, it was know, affidavit, sick. actually. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Every, so many names are on this list. Um, and someone else in this Twitter thread that I saw said that they had Princess Diana killed because she knew about what Prince Andrew was doing and she had proof. So I thought that was interesting, too, because I didn't ever think her death was natural. My mom was really drawn to her and she didn't think it was either. So I was like, First conspiracy theory that I ever heard was that Princess Diana was killed. So yeah. Well, that <laughs> affidavit. There's a there's a film on Netflix right now about Jeffrey Epstein, mm-hmm. and um, they showed that affidavit on the Netflix. It's a series. It's a series. Sorry. It, yes, docu series. They showed it a docu series. They showed it on there, and they have. And it's interesting because. I've watched the whole R. Kelly series and I've watched the Epstein series and it's another series they have on um, priests and the, um, and it's called Keepers. And all of those are on Netflix right now. And after watching all three of those series, I realized that they all have the same, like pretty much in common, you know? So all of them you know, have like where um, they have this ring of of young girls that are, you know, um, teenagers in the early 20s where they groom them so that they can um, get other girls. And so they turn the victims into perpetrators uh, turn the women, the women, you know, victims and the perpetrators, they, you know, what happens when a person is raped, um, there, it sets off a, uh, a trigger, like a chemical trigger actually happens to a person and that person go, uh, they, to escape, or uh, even in a, simply a traumatic situation to escape as a part of survival, the brain allows you know, has different different chambers and things and allows you to go, you know, into someplace else. That's why you'll see 
many um, victims of trauma or survivors of trauma will have uh, multiple personality disorders or um, schizophrenia or these types of disorders, um, eating disorders, bulimia, anorexia, um, cutting, you know, uh, heavy drug use, um, alcoholism. But anyway, I noticed that all of the women who were a part of this, you know, they're grown women now, many of them were like, um, many of them were, you know, speaking about how, you know, they were recruiters and, you know, they spoke about their time, like their first time going there and how they were victimized by them, but how they later became a recruiter and they were, and they all pay these women like exorbitant fees and they all have access to the richest, most powerful, I'm using powerful in terms of like a capitalist power, you know, powerful people. And it's all like this thing where they, they create this huge web. And so when I'm looking at it and even having been in the fashion industry, when I tell people why I no longer am in the fashion industry, when I used to tell people about the child trafficking, when I used to tell people about how they would turn models into mules and how they have all these photographers and stylists and stuff become mules and traffickers. And people would never believe me. They would never believe me. But I'm part of, I mean, I'm not happy that these things happen, but I'm happy that these films are made where the people that are participating, you know, we're in the age of Aquarius, so all knowledge is becoming known, but where mm -hmm. the people are getting to see it and also to see the paperwork, to see the courtroom paperwork because people don't even believe victims. People don't believe survivors. You know what I'm saying? Which is shitty. But to see courtroom paperwork, you know, affidavits and things, um, I'm just happy that, they, that they're exposing that. But I wanted to see if folks either saw any of, whether it was any of those series or had any reaction to um, that information being exposed. Didn't Jeff, didn't homeboy uh, get killed down there in prison in Florida and they said he committed suicide? Yep. He was and definitely that, that's, killed. That's because when you looked at all his list of best friends and, and people he worked with and whatever, uh, so uh, the last four presidents, uh, not, not Carter, but all of them other ones that interacted with him one way or another, so many congressmen, big businessmen, and other folks, and especially Trump. And so all of a sudden, we're supposed to believe that this man committed suicide. He owns a goddamn island. That's why he had all that shit going on and couldn't nobody mess with him for so long. And now he supposedly mm -hmm. committed suicide. And all these powerful folks running around acting like they they didn't know what happened. You know, he died for Or didn't even know him or weren't that close with him. They killed him. They got. They killed him because they didn't want him to. If they had to start trying to put him in prison, that he would have started talking, and all of them would have been screwed. Wow. I wonder, Lauren or Paul, do y'all have reactions to any of that? Hello, hello. Hey, sorry, Piper. I had to step out, so I missed part of the conversation. I was just saying how, I don't know if you saw um, that the affidavit for Jeffrey Epstein 
with Donald Trump and also Naomi Campbell was named and uh, Prince Andrew, a lot, a lot of people, or if you saw the um, Jeffrey Epstein on Netflix, and I was just saying right now, you've got the R. Kelly series on Netflix, the Jeffrey Epstein series on Netflix, and the um, and something called The Keepers, which is about the priests and the Catholic Church in a, a specific case where a nun was murdered in uh, Baltimore. But I wanted to see if you either saw any of those or if you had reactions to the affidavit of um, Jeffrey Epstein uh, with Trump. You know what? I didn't see that. Um, I did actually begin watching that, the documentary or whatever it is, the like expose on Epstein. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's disturbing. It's, yeah. And in every case, well, I feel like one of the most disturbing parts is how they train young girls to recruit more young girls. And so it becomes a cycle where, um, you know, just the circle grows and grows because the girls involved are tricked into recruiting more of their friends. So yeah, that's it. Horrible, disgusting, and I have a lot of thoughts. Paul, did you yeah. have any reaction to any of that? Piper, um, I think, well, one, I've said so much crazy stuff that, you know, you just tell me when, you know, I'm getting us all in trouble. But America was founded on human trafficking. I don't know if folks know that. But uh, we got a lot of Africans walking around North America. It's a very strange thing. Um, what most people don't know, that sexual assault was an integral product, a part of that project of disciplining and subordinating black bodies. So it's nothing new. The president... His behavior is as American as apple pie. He is an American. Everything he talks about and does is uniquely lies at the heart and quintessence of what it means to be an American man, a rapist, a person who violates and steals people's bodies, exploits their labor, degrades and defames people. He's not, it's not even a moral assessment of him as an individual. It's an understanding of him in the context of a society that's totally morally corrupt and bankrupt. Evil. America's evil. And so we, we, once we understand that, we understand that Jeffrey Epstein and the Catholic Church and all these other institutions, they're just participating in this, in this old history of pedophilia and pederasty. Um, and inappropriate relationships between uh, 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 folks uh, too too old and too young. And to me, what I what I would lay out for folks is an understanding of how to disrupt these cultures, which is a transparency around sexuality and sex, which is a transparency around what kind of relations are healthy and affirming, and beneficial and transformative an understanding of what it means for someone to be empowered by enthusiastic consent to be able to say what it is they want, what they like, what they don't like, and to begin that education as early as possible. And this idea of people killing people to protect these industry systems, that's what they did in, during slavery. Um, and that's what they're going to continue to do. I mean, to touch on the point about police, police overwhelmingly are domestic abusers statistically, have drinking issues, terrible family lives, and, and, and a lot of mental health issues that go unresolved. 
And I think we ought to look at how it is that a society can rely on safety and security from a group of people who's that, who's that warped. We, ought, we began to find out as early as 2014 how many police officers were involved in human trafficking, sex trafficking. How many uh, police officers are involved in the distribution of hardcore narcotics. So America, we know the military has been involved in the distribution and sales of hardcore narcotics and high-grade military-style weapons to civilian populations around the world. America loves to uh, incite what they call revolution against uh, governments that protect human rights. They love to sell arms and arm people who are, quote-unquote, overthrowing governments that protect basic economic freedoms. So I think that when you, when you see how corrupt, and I, I appreciate y'all for bringing this up because most people don't want to touch this kind of stuff. I even feel a little crazy even talking about it in public because it's so sick. Uh, but once you see that, you begin to understand that our dealings with the American government and with its institutions need to be totally adversarial and oppositional. And that the... Uh, our desire in our outcomes and our intended outcomes in dealing with them in an adversarial way is total destruction. As Bob Marley said, total destruction is the only solution to this system. Thank you for that. Thank y'all. I think we're, we're at the end of just this show. We got to bring y'all back on. Uh, I truly enjoyed you. How you guys feel? Yeah, I really enjoyed speaking with you guys and even listening to you. I'd love to be a part of your movement as well. Yay! <laughs> like, seriously, I'm down. So, however, I'll talk to Piper after, but... Well, we can get the info now. Conversation. Yeah, so yeah. we can share with everybody. Um, So, like, these are the folks, like, you know, when when I'm talking about the coalition that I'm a part of, this is Frontline Detroit. This is three of the members. Um, and like I said, during COVID, you know, our coalition has been supporting the existing work of longtime organizations like We the People of Detroit, uh, the Brightmore Connection Soup Kitchen, you know, um, EMIAC and others to um, power, you know, um, power their, their existing collectives and in water delivery, door-to-door, um, other resources, information. We've got the petitions still. Like, a, like we did a whole show on just the petition and just getting that out. Um, and that, that petition is still going. We still need people to sign the petition. It's on moveon.org. You can look up moveon.org, Frontline Detroit. Uh, it's called Turn, Turn Water On, and it's to get all water on to write, you know, uh, to get our mayor to enforce the um, governor Whitmer um, is the governor of state of Michigan's executive order to turn all water on, especially during COVID. Um, we do a lot of other things. Um, you know, some stuff is being done, not on social media, not online. So you got to get with folks about that in another time, time and space zone. But for the stuff that we can share, I wanted to, um, well, we're on social media, um, and Paul, can you share all the ways in which um, people that are listening, because right now I hope people are becoming more radicalized, 
and want to get invested and involved, how can people um, get down with us, you know, on what we're doing if they're like, listen, I want to dig into some of this work? Oh, you're talking about Frontline, right? Yeah, for Frontline. Yeah. Well, first of all, I have to say that all, all the opinions are mine and mine only. They don't represent uh, Frontline or uh, that of any of our affiliates. Uh, including many members of the Democratic Party and the like. Uh, I, you know, every day I wake up and I tell myself I'm a revolutionary. So that's just me talking. I don't, I'm not speaking for anyone else. But if you are interested in Frontline, go to the website, go to the Join Our Movement page, and yeah, fill out your information. Uh, one of the ways that people can really get involved is basic, is by helping us move water in support of our uh, homies and beloved community at We the People of Detroit, and uh, well, I guess I can't say the uh, other organization's name, but we love them dearly, uh, um, just because we we said a lot on this on this show. But if you come to our website, we'll point you in the direction of people who are doing awesome work, and we don't all have to think the same. Like Bob Darrell's always saying, we don't always have to agree on everything, but we just have to uh, love people, love justice, and hate oppression and hate when people are treated poorly. It's really basic. Uh, and uh, some of us will do anything to stop oppression. And some of us will do a lot of things to stop oppression. And some of us will do something to stop oppression. Uh, and absent uh, a, a perfect world, we'll take, we'll take something or most things or anything uh, we can get to stop oppression. Uh, so everyone is welcome, people of all genders, all ages, all class status, all everything. Uh, we, we're surrounding people and surrounding ourselves in love. So thanks, y'all. I really appreciate it being on the show. And um, yeah. We got to bring you back. We got to bring y'all back. We talk about a lot of, we mostly focus on current events, but we but it's interesting how all current events lead back to water. <laughs> so Probably 99% of our conversations always have to deal with water, um, which is interesting. So, yeah, so Frontline on, on everything, Frontline Detroit on everything. Um, and then, Bobadero, how can people um, get involved with anything EMEAC's a part of? Well, uh, feel free to come uh, down to the Commons and check us out. All kinds of activities happen there. Uh, from the Detroit People's Water Board that meets there every second Tuesday, I believe, of the month. Uh, and so there's lots of activities. Uh, there's semester in Detroit. There's all kinds of people doing programs down there. And if people want to come down there and do a program, if you're part of an organization, give us a call. But, you know, we're organizing. We're out there in the street in, at uh, EMIAC. We have a group of young people. And uh, they go door to door in communities uh, and they work with all kinds of environmental uh, organizations, uh, water organizations, uh, community organizations. And so we're about building community and building movement and trying to get the people to know each other and try to figure out how we can work broadly together. And so if anybody got any energy and want to get involved, I'll let Piper. And she'll tell you uh, when when to come hang out with us, and we'll give you something to do. And the best thing about working for justice is when you're out there and you're working with people who love to do what they're doing and love people, 
you it begins to feel good and you want to do it. And it becomes not just something you do because somebody killed a brother who shouldn't have died. It becomes something you do because that's part of who you are, you know? And so I'm going to quit there and stop talking. Piper, I love you, and this has been great. <laughs> Rise up. Thank you. Lauren, how can people um, get in touch with you or, and the things you're doing? You're such a brilliant artist. I'm going to have to... It's it's funny we we when we start doing our video shows I'm gonna have to bring you and Paul on here, so so we can actually see some of your work. But um, how can people get down with um, the things that you're working on as well? Thanks, Piper. Um, so you can you can find my work online at my website, which is Williams Lauren L A U R E N M like Mary dot com, um, and then I'm on Twitter. At I'm L Williams, so I am the letter L Williams. Um, my Instagram is really boring, so I won't even direct you there. <laughs> but those are two good ways to find me. Thanks for that. And before we go, Deja, you wanted to tell us about our artist of the week. Um, yeah, so Freddie Gibbs and the Alchemists released a project together called Alfredo. Um, I think they dropped it on Friday and it's been really well received. Um, there is this line on a song that he has with Rick Ross, I believe it's called Scotty B, yeah, where he says, My persecution, um, or I'm sorry, my execution might be televised. And I really think that line stands out right now. I mean, it's the truth. We all feel that way. Um, and I just respect that he's putting it out there in his art. I love that we're speaking on what's happening to us. I don't ever, like, want to talk down on a rapper that's, you know, telling the truth about what we're going through. So I just wanted to highlight that line. And I just wanted to make that the song of the week, or at least that part of the song, um, for that reason, the song of the week. So we can he's also selling shirts. If you're a Freddie Gibbs fan, um, he's selling shirts that say my execution might be televised, that are all proceeds are going to um, Ahmaud Arbery's family, Brianna Johnson and George Floyd's family. They're all getting split evenly between the three of them. support that as well. So we'll chop that up um, and put that on the, on, the, on the podcast. That'll be our music for the podcast that y'all hear. Um, and definitely want to um, invest in that and invest in those families. Um, and then also to um, give us your, your Instagram. Um, my Instagram is Katori T. It's C-A-T-O-R-I-I-T um, on Instagram. So it's where you guys can follow me. Find out what I'm listening to and talking about. <laughs> And Brittany, did you have any words that you wanted to leave people with? You still there, Britt? You're on mute. Yeah, I just want to, again, thank everybody for joining. This was a beautiful conversation. Um, thank you guys again for your work. Thank you for taking the time and speaking with us for so long. And uh, thank you, Piper, for, like I always say, bridging the gap. You're so sweet. Well, thank everybody for, you know, uh, attending and giving us this much of your time and sharing about what's going on in the front lines so that, you know, we're aware and helping us think about, you know, strategy and how to move forward. 
This is the Piper Carter Podcast. We're coming to you live from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, we represent Detroit is different and the Detroit is different family. You can go to DetroitIsDifferent.net and that's where you'll see like all the other podcasts that are on there. You can um, actually check us out on um, Facebook now. We actually have a Facebook for our um, podcast and it's called Piper Carter Podcast. Actually, no, our Facebook is actually called PC Podcast. Yeah, PC Podcast. And our Instagram is called PC.podcast. And we have a Facebook group called Piper Carter Podcast. So drop us a line. Let us know about some subjects you want to talk about, what type of guests you want to bring on here. And, you know, um, keep listening. Keep, you know, sharing, subscribing. We're on multiple. We're on all streaming channels, including iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, um, Apple Podcast. You know, so we, uh, we're definitely out here. Let people know, share, subscribe, and we'll see. Please stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next week. Peace. Remember to like, share, subscribe, and always listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store, and Spotify. The revolution is just genocide. Made a sex tape with your bitch, that pussy televised. Thug nigga with some exotic dreams, erotic dreams. Fucking hella thoughts, but I really want me a Scotty Beam. Shit was different when Mike left, and it was Scotty team. X won't take me back without me, the bitch. When they-